and welcome to Biblical Tapestry Podcast Season 4, Episode 8, A Study in 1 Peter. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation. Today we continue into 1 Peter, beginning in Chapter 3. Again, we will tackle the difficult subject of submission, as in the previous verses about slaves and masters. What does submission in the family mean to modern Christians? Well, I can almost hear the eyes rolling as we read this passage, but we must look at the context and understand a life of godly behavior as one that leads others to God. And we will start in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning the external, the braiding of hair, and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for this is you were this for this you were called that you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love life and seek good days let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit let him turn away from evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer for the face of the lord is against those who do evil all right back to those great verses one and two likewise Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Well, the term likewise harkens back to the discussion about slaves and masters. However, it is not at all suggesting that the relationship between husband and wives is like that of a slave and master. These first six verses, Peter is speaking to wives specifically. In verse 1, Peter uses the word submit once again, or be subject, the same word he used about submitting to authorities in chapter 2. This once more is voluntary submission, as husbands do not have the responsibility to ensure that wives submit to them. This message was addressed directly to wives of unbelieving husbands. Peter is requesting submission but not endorsing a patriarchal institution that forces submission. The idea of being subject could lead the unbelieving spouse to come to know Christ. Again, Peter was not trying in futility to overturn the social structure of his day. Peter's concern was that the salvation of the unbelieving husband was was his main point and not about the social rights of the believing wife in this case. Submission was for the sake of the church and the gospel message, especially for unbelieving husbands. 
Peter was clearly expressing that the actions of the believing wife was more important, more important as a witness than the words used. Peter was writing to an audience in a culture quite different from ours. At no time, even in the culture of the time, does the New Testament ever say that women are inferior to men. That is not being expressed. That is not even implied. In verse 7, Peter states that both husband and wife in a believing household are joint heirs with Christ. And that is fundamental equality. And Paul also states this in Galatians. Galatians 3.27, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The New Testament was countercultural in promoting the equality of women. Is such equality compatible with the call for wives to submit to husbands or be subject to them? Paul's discussion of wives and husbands in Ephesians 5 states that subjection of wives to husbands is grounded in theology as an image of Christ's relationship with the church. That is not an accommodation to culture. In fact, it transcends the culture of the time. In chapter 2, Peter speaks to the submission of believing slaves to their masters, even though slavery was an evil institution developed by human beings to own other human beings. Marriage is an institution ordained by God at creation. Both Peter and Paul espouse the equality of women to men, but also commands wives to submit to their husbands. Thomas Schreiner writes, Differences in function do not cancel out equality. Submission from wives does not imply inferiority. It does not mean that they are lesser beings. Different functions does not change any of that. The worldview is that anything that requires submission in marriage identifies worth and stature, and that is anti-biblical. Believing wives' submission can be a visible way for unbelieving husbands to be impressed by the Christian faith. It also must be stated that this submission is not absolute. If the husband requires the wife to disobey moral norms or follow a pagan religion, then then disobedience is to be warranted. There are limits to any submissive role when that would dishonor God, be it government, master, or spouse. Verse 3 says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. I don't think Peter was prohibiting nice hair or wearing jewelry, but the ostentatious display of such things. Perhaps someone's spending a large sum of money on these things that allows them to imply some sort of status. God is not concerned about the outward appearance, but who they are in relationship to God. That is an an internal adornment. In 1 Samuel 16, 6, God told told, uh, Samuel something. When they came, they looked at Eliab, and he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It is what is inside a person that makes them important in God. (laughs) 
And what is inside a person does not ever remain hidden. It'll come out. And the heart should be the source of a person's persona and not the outward adornments. Again, I don't think that Peter was saying all such things are bad, just the ostentatiousness of all these things. A gentle spirit goes so much further than exorbitantly expensive or immodest apparel. I think this is the truth for both women and men. Verse 4 says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in which in God's sight is very precious. This again is a spirit of gentle and quietness that should be true of all believers. Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And don't think wrongly of meek, because meek means strength under control. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Focusing on internal adornment is more attractive than the ostentatious outward displays that Peter was referring to. Verse 5 says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Why does Peter use the holy women from the past as an example? It was an encouragement for the wives of his audience to be submissive to their, submissive to their husbands. These were holy women because he lived in a way that was pleasing to God. Peter's probably referring to Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah. The most important aspect of these women is that they place their hope in God. These women did not submit to their husbands because they were superior, for their husbands were superior intellectually or spiritually, but because they were confident in God. In verse 6, Peter speaks to Sarah, the wife of Abraham, who submitted to him. This is more than obedience. It is an attitude and a correct spirit. You know, I am sure that Abraham and Sarah had their issues, as all couples have, and we do indeed see some of that in Abraham's narrative. But in 1 Corinthians 7, 3, it says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul's point here is that the marriage relationship is one of mutuality and careful consideration of each other. We should not read the marriage relationship through the lens of submission, states Thomas Reiner again. But Peter is clear that the responsibility of the wives was to follow their husband's godly leadership, or in the case of a non-believing spouse, leadership that does not dishonor God. It is also clear that loyalty to God will transcend the marital relationship. The last part of verse 6 is referring to wives modeling themselves after godly women and not fearing but trusting always in God's provision. Now we get to verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
The husband has not been left out in these instructions, even if it's just one verse. What does it mean for a husband to live with their wives? What kind of statement is that? It means to live with them in such a way that honors the wife with the knowledge of God's will for them both. The term weaker vessel in this matter is physical strength alone, although that is perhaps not universally true for all marriages. But generally this is the case, and as such, men are to show honor and protection. This is by no means saying that the woman is weaker spiritually or emotionally or morally. In fact, emotional strength exceeds that of men in most cases. Honor should be shown additionally for believers since both the husband and wife are joint heirs with Christ. Verse 8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Peter is wrapping up his discussions on the Christian response to social order with some commands. Peter has a call for unity of the mind. That seems to be unnecessary for churches, but churches of that day and today are still prone to suffer from divisions and dissension. Believers are to be sympathetic and caring deeply for each other in the needs, joys, and sorrows we all have. Brotherly love among believers is critical to the ministry of the churches. Believers have a common relationship with Christ, and we should see each other as family. In Romans 12:9, Paul writes, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Tenderheartedness means that we need to be full of compassion for those who are in pain. Compassion is one of the hallmarks of a Christian life. A humble mind means you consider others more important than yourself. That is also essential Christianity, as the gospel is not about self, but always, always about others. Verse 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. How should believers respond to unbelievers, even those that might mistreat you? Do not repay evil for evil. Paul tells the Roman church in Romans 12:14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The blessing to be obtained in this verse from this behavior is eternal life. There is no works righteousness being suggested here because these behaviors are in response to God's call, as Peter further explains in the following verses from verse 10 through verse 12. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And that is a similar quote from what is in Psalms 34:12, which says, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. 
Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Psalms 34 focuses on the Lord's deliverance for those who are afflicted. In this case where David changed his behavior in front of Abimelech to save his own life. The Lord will rescue his own when they suffer and in return judge the wicked. We are not promised good days every day of our lives, as troubles are to be expected. Regardless of what we are going through, we need to maintain our Christian attitudes and integrity. Stay away from evil. Do good. Pursue peace. God is watching out for you, and his eyes are upon you and against those who do evil. Believers must make a conscious effort to turn from evil and do good. God sees you, and God hears you. And a godly life does not earn salvation, but it surely is evidence of salvation. A transformed life by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us is necessary to obtain the results of salvation, eternal life. Next episode, we will study responding in a godly way to suffering. There it is, suffering again. I hope the season forward first letter of Peter speaks to your heart. I pray that this study blesses you, and I encourage you again to spend time in God's Word. You can find Biblical Tapestry on Facebook and in Instagram, and I encourage you to please like and share this podcast if you've discovered something from the study that blesses you. God bless, and I pray that you're doing well. <music>